Andrew Morgan, President, Diageo Europe. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're here at the CBAM Symposium, Bricks and Beyond. You, Diageo, have been in league or hand-in-hand with CBAM for 15 years, developing these conferences, the themes. What's so special about them? Yes, we've been very happy to to support uh, CBAM. Indeed, it goes back to when we had a a Guinness chair at the the business school. So the association with the university goes back uh, many, many years. I find that it's, it's quite a unique combination of academics and senior business people, and that's, that's it's very rare. And I find that I always learn something from these symposia in particular, and sometimes that comes from the academics because I don't, I don't make a point of getting in front of academics all that often. So this almost ensures that at least a couple of times a year I'm kind of hearing, you know, what the world look like, looks like from an academic sort of point of view. But also, you know, we get great business people along as well. But one of the things that Christos Pistelis, the director of CBAM, says, and he repeats it often, is that actually you in the business community on the CBAM board set the agenda for the conference because he joked that academics are five years behind the curve, you know, business is a, a couple of years ahead. So if you set the themes, that why the CBAM symposiums sort of just about get it right. They're, they're ahead and not trailing behind. Well, we have got rather a good track record of doing that. Yeah, I'm not sure that businesses could always claim to be a couple of years ahead. Obviously, looking ahead is part of what we do because we need to be ready to face the challenges of the future for our, for our businesses. But I do think in CBAM in particular, having the business people pick the topics actually has been, has been very, very successful. And we've, we've, when you think that we have to kind of land on a topic roughly a year in advance... There are times when we've actually managed to predict the sort of hot topics of the coming year extremely well. Well, let's move to your presentation now, bringing emerging market strategy to life. A bit difficult to know if you're a business, um, where to put your bucks these days? China, India, Brazil. Then we've heard a lot of acronyms as well, haven't we, about Indonesia, Russia, uh, Turkey doing well. Goodness, how do you fathom it all out? Well, that's right. The latest one is the civets, which is the, the, the next group of emerging markets after the BRICS, I think. Is the I latest. thought they were baby swan cygnets or something. Uh, that's cygnets. Civets is another type of animal, I think, but it's, a, it's rather irrelevant to this. But anyway, yeah, the simple matter is certainly a big consumer goods company like ours is, is constantly trying to find growth. And we have about two-thirds of our business in a combination of, of North America and, and Europe, Western Europe, which are essentially re- pretty much mature markets. And what we're looking to do constantly is move the profile of our business to more of a growth profile. And so you're seeing us invest in the emerging world. And the choice of which emerging countries or developing countries is, yes, you're right, that that can get quite complex. But the general trend that we're looking to do is to move from, Diageo in particular, move from being sort of two-thirds of our business in developed markets to having only half of our business in the developed world and the other half in the, in the faster-growing emerging world. So you're there in the faster-growing emerging world, the so-called developing regions. You, you know, are you worried at all about the volatility of those markets, China not democratising, India a large rural poor population, even Brazil? Um, it's not 
stability, perhaps, that business needs, but, but more somewhere the, the, where the markets, the growth, the populations are going to want your products? Yes, I mean, I think we have the great advantage of being truly global. So we have, if you like, a a portfolio, a hedged portfolio of geographies around the world. You know, and and in any given time, you can be pretty certain some part of the world is having, you know, giving you some sort of problem. So we've, you know, we've had issues with our business in Venezuela recently, you know, but that's absolutely offset in other parts of the world where things are going swimmingly, like, you know, in, in, in Southeast Asia, uh, our African business has been uh, performing very well recently. So I think one of the ways that you can hedge these risks in different, uh, you know, unpredictable sort of economies is to be in lots of them. And then, you know, generally speaking, our experience is that when when you when you get the aggregate, the total trend of all these businesses, it, it hedges itself rather nicely. Well, let's look at your presentation in more detail. You've listed Russia, Turkey, Eastern Europe as emerging, Germany, France, Great Britain, Italy as stable, Ireland, Greece, Spain. You've tactfully said challenged. Does it take a lot of expertise, if you like, a lot of bringing together of different minds to decide on your business strategy for the future? And here at CBAM, surely that's what we're doing today, bringing all those different minds to inform you to go forward. Yes, I mean it doesn't take a, a, an economic forecasting genius to to have, you know to, to to be able to classify you know, Greece and Spain right now as as challenged as you as you put it, but yeah, the extent to which you stay fully invested in geographies and economies like that versus you know reducing resources, taking costs down, in our case taking out marketing investment, you know those are the tough decisions. They're, they're the sort of short and long term decisions. Decisions that you have to make. You know, we've got we've got relatively big businesses in Greece and Spain, and if I just pull everything out, you know, then the chances are, you know, in in five to ten years' time, when you would hope you get some kind of recovery in those geographies, you know, you won't have anything left. And so, I think it's it's not so much about calling where is less attractive at any given time. It's how do you respond to that. And you know what's the what's the the the, the sort of uh, how how extreme is your reaction? And uh, there are a lot, there's a lot to, to if you look at the a lot of the case studies will tell you that actually companies that stay the course in the long term in any given geography are the ones that succeed. You're looking for stable markets and and perhaps well middle class markets. We know that China wants to to get its poor up to middle class so it can can develop its its internal consumer spend. But but you say that eight markets will drive seventy five percent of the spend, and that you'll ben- focus on getting real traction in your priority markets. Yeah, what what there's been quite a change in the Diageo strategy over the last couple of years, and that is we're moving away from purely being a very premium branded company to now saying we will look at what we call the emerging middle class in in emerging markets. And that's typically, I mean, it it kind of goes back to Maslow's sort of hierarchy of needs, really, when when people get to a level of, of wealth, if you like, where they no longer have to worry about the real basics in life. They can feed themselves and clothe themselves and and have housing and accommodation, 
you know, there comes a point usually around between between $5,000 a year and sort of $15,000 a year where people start then to think about brands and they start to think about actually being a bit more discerning and choiceful about the quality of products that they consume and the brands that, that, that say things about them, if you like. Well, one of the things that strikes me, we've always known about China and the Chinese liking consumer goods, you know, electronics, um, brainers, drinks as well. But Turkey, why did you focus on Turkey in your presentation? Well, Christos Pitelis asked me to pick a recent example of, 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 you know, a big company like ours trying to move the profile to more to emerging markets. So what I've taken there is to say, look, here's our European business. We've looked around Europe, you know, where are, where is the growth in the next 10 years coming from in Europe? And you would have to say Turkey is one of those places, there's no question and the kind of GDP growth they're getting in Turkey right now, and the contrasting, you know, fortunes of Turkey and many of the other countries in that region, you know, mean that it's it's a very attractive candidate for for investment for us. A little bit complicated one for us in the drinks industry because, of course, you've got an Islamic government there, or, or albeit moderate. But you know, one of the things we've had to do there before making what has been actually a very significant investment in buying the biggest drinks company, a spirits drinks company in Turkey, you know, is to really understand how government and regulators are going to treat our that category going forward. And what we've been persuaded is that, that you essentially got a secular regime in Turkey. I mean, this is established by Ataturk, you know, as a, as a, a, a fundamental principle for, for Turkey, that it would be secular at, when, it, when it comes to things like the consumption of alcohol and the Several of the ministers in the current Turkish government you know, have been able to persuade me that they have no interest in, in trying to take a more extreme position on the consumption of alcohol in, in Turkey. So not without its complexities and risks, but we think the size of the prize there more than warrants taking those risks. Yeah, those are your acquisition risks. And I know you've got to get back in to the panel at the conference that's just reconvened. But in terms of the volatility of the world, we've talked about, you know, the the Greece's, perhaps the Spain's, Portugal's, Ireland's, but we're sitting at a time when news is breaking every hour about the Rupert Murdoch empire and whatever you might think about the what went on at the News of the World and his media empire. It's a big business. It's a big global business, the Murdoch empire. Do you think that people are perhaps going to gravitate back? There's so many unknowns, so many intangibles in the world today that, that perhaps the brave hearts will just retrench. Gosh, that's quite philosophical, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I actually think, interestingly, you know, what we're seeing in business now is um, entrepreneurs from what we used to know as the emerging world, the third world, if you like, sort of developing countries, actually being more successful than your classic sort of Western, North American, European sort of entrepreneur. And they seem to be better equipped for, for this world. I think somehow they seem to be able to deal with risk and uncertainty rather better than, you know, the classic sort of blue-chip US or, or West European, you know, corporate executive. So uh, I'm certainly looking to learn from developing world in terms of how you, how you deal with those risks and mitigate them and, and still come out on top. So, so no cold feet? No, I don't think we want to have cold feet. I think these things are, are sick, I think. I think we... we um, 
it is clear that for the foreseeable future there's likely to be more growth in in Asia and in Latin America than we're going to see in in Western Europe. But most of big global businesses, you know, the, the business in Europe and, and North America is too big to ignore. So we, we, we certainly won't be neglecting it. We've just got to try to optimise it a little bit while we get to the more exciting high-growth stuff in other parts of the world. Well, uh, just finally, any tips you've learned from what's been presented so far, 2050, the big economies, the giants, and, and perhaps, if you like Brazil, a good bet too at number four? I already believed Brazil was a great bet. Those guys seem to have completely ignored the fact that the world had a recession. They just, just carried on growing. So I'm a big fan of the Brazilian economy. We have a, we have a big business in, in, in Brazil. Uh, actually, I think the, one of the key uh, factors over the next 15 to 20 years will be population growth in India. And I think you may see in the long term... India eclipsing China as a result of population growth, which will not be a factor in China. Andrew Morgan, President, Diageo Europe, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today on your topic, bringing emerging market strategy to life. Good luck. Thank you very much.